Hi, you're listening to Ten Minute IS Paper. My name is Blair Wang. Today's paper is called "Tracing Normification: A Cross-Platform Analysis of the QAnon Conspiracy Theory" by Daniel Desieux, Sao Hache, Stein Pietersch, and Emilia Yokubauskaite. Published in First Monday in 2020. Firstly, I just want to say Happy Halloween! It's the 31st of October, and、uh, it's less than a week before the U.S. election. So there's a lot of things happening in the world right now, which I think is a good opportune time to look at a bit of an edgy journal paper like this one. It comes from a peer-reviewed online journal called. First Monday, which publishes monthly, it's not the first time that we've looked at First Monday on this podcast, but it is a little bit、uh, different to the mainstream basket of eight that we usually look at. But given that this journal is just a little bit more edgy, it's been able to get in a paper about QAnon of all things, which is very timely. I don't know if you've heard about QAnon; it's been covered a lot recently in the news,、uh, for better or for worse. You see, QAnon is a conspiracy theory, and it's a really weird conspiracy theory. And yet, it's become quite mainstream and disturbingly influential in the upcoming U.S. election. What you also have to understand about this theory is that it comes from a website called 4chan. That's the number four, C H A N, not to be confused with the programming language. Fortran.、Uh, so 4chan is a website from the early days of the web when every subculture or interest group would have its own forum or website where people would gather. Not like the mainstream social media giants like we have today, like Facebook. And so because these Communities, these online communities formed around particular subcultures. A lot of them, and 4chan being a great example of this, have really endured even throughout the transformation over the past few decades. So 4chan survives into the present day, and it's retained a lot of its really unique subculture. And 4chan has evolved into what the authors of this paper refer to as a fringe online subculture. They refer to it as the deep vernacular web, and this is a part of the internet where there's a different kind of, shall we say, institutional logic. This is a website where people post memes, where people post very strange things and, and largely satirical things. This is a website where everyone is more or less anonymous, and where more. Less people don't take each other or what they're doing seriously. So 4chan is fringe and not mainstream. And according to this paper and its historical investigation, QAnon started as what seems to have been either a joke or a very strange anonymous tip-off from someone who claimed to have inside access to the White House. This anonymous author, who is referred to as Q, hence QAnon, was actually ousted from 4chan for being, shall we say. A little bit too strange, even for 4chan. And then the QAnon community that had grown around this anonymous Q spread to a different website called 8chan. What you have to understand about 8chan is that it is everything that was banned from 4chan. It is to 4chan what 4chan is to the rest of the internet. So all of that,、uh, the original 4chan post,、uh, the transfer over to 8chan happened in late 2017, early 2018, and this is still on very fringe, increasingly more fringe with the case of 8chan websites. So how is it that today, in 2020? 
We have mainstream news reporting on the dangers of QAnon and that it's become part of the real world. How did something from the most esoteric part of the internet become something that's part of the political landscape for an upcoming US election? Well, that is what this paper unpacks for us. Now, there's a few things that happened with the QAnon phenomenon that allowed it to evade attempts to get rid of it and to also grow in prevalence. QAnon material is not always labelled as QAnon. It's sometimes labelled simply with the letter Q, which could mean something else, such as questions and answers. And when QAnon was banned from 4chan, it also took on a different name, CBTS calm before the storm. And so CBTS started being another way to refer to QAnon without having to say QAnon. In parallel to QAnon material being shared on 4chan and 8chan in 2017, early 2018, during the same time, this material also started appearing on YouTube and Reddit. These two platforms are what the authors of this paper refer to as bridge platforms. And the same evasiveness of the naming happened more and more. QAnon material started popping up on subreddits related to just Donald Trump, to subreddits related to conspiracy theories overall. There was another one called The Great Awakening on Reddit. And so this material is increasingly drawing attention from more mainstream audiences. Reddit is not entirely mainstream, but it's more mainstream than 4chan, and YouTube is definitely mainstream. And because this material is now on these platforms where algorithms are at play and viral content can spread really quickly, all of a sudden it's more than just the esoteric 4chan, 8chan that are aware of QAnon and that are tuning in to what QAnon followers have to say. And then on the 31st of July 2018, something happened. At a Donald Trump rally in Florida, some regular people in the real world referred to QAnon. And these were not the stereotypical young nihilistic 4chan users. These were middle-aged senior Donald Trump supporters at this Trump rally in Florida in 2018. And so all of a sudden, what was something that originated from the fringe esoteric parts of the internet was as one newspaper put it, seeping from the web into the offline world. And from there, it entered public discourse in traditional news media, including, of course, in right-wing media such as Breitbart. Now, interestingly, this paper points out the Breitbart media wasn't actually supporting QAnon, but the people in the comments who were interested in Breitbart media were often QAnon supporters. And so all of a sudden, the actual editorial content on right-wing news media is even separated from the comment section below. And so all of a sudden, even this news media online becomes yet another conduit for QAnon, yet another part of the public sphere where this is spreading. Now, there is uh, certainly a lot that we could talk about in terms of fake news and epistemology and this post-truth era that we're living in. But this paper is interested in what they refer to as the normification. You see, on 4chan, the term normie refers to people from the mainstream who don't understand 4chan, who don't understand the strange subculture or the memes or the in-jokes. And so when some of these in-jokes and memes make it to the real world, they are considered to be normified. This normification also happens to something like this conspiracy theory, which in all fairness could have been started just as a satirical joke, but now is normified into something that's taking on genuine believers. And so how this happened, 
if we look at the situation, is in a way that's very similar actually to the pandemic of an infectious disease. You have something which may have started off in a far remote corner of the world and it jumped over to another platform. It jumped over to another host. It found different ways of hiding itself, of hijacking different parts of the public sphere. And all of a sudden you have something that's growing super rapidly and you need various data analytics techniques just to be able to track its spread. That is what the authors here refer to as normification of a conspiracy theory. And the authors point out it doesn't mean that it's normalized yet. It just means that it's entered major public media. But normification becomes the first step into normalization, into conspiracy theories being widely accepted. And that really is the main point of this paper. No matter what happens with the election in the coming week, no matter what happens with various attempts at platform governance, or lack thereof, as the authors say, this ability for memes in the original Dawkins sense memes as these ideas that spread super quickly. These memes spread off the esoteric corners of the digital world, just as viruses spread from the remote corners of the physical world. And so this historical approach to tracing where it comes from, how it jumped from one place to another, as the authors point out, it offers a methodological template for similar comparative research. It's a scary thought that things like this are going to continue happening into the future, but it seems to be the direction that the world is headed in. So at least now, we can understand this kind of viral spread just a little bit better. Thanks for listening and stay well. This has been an episode of 10 Minute IS Paper. Thanks for listening. The music on this podcast is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod and generously licensed under Creative Commons. You can find out more about this podcast at www.tmisp.org and you can reach out to me, Blair Wang, at www.blair.wang.org.